Hello and welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings toward our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Everybody, um, welcome back to our re-reread of uh, <laughs> re-read. It's so easy to get lost in this re-reread <laughs> of uh, a feast for crows. We're reading Brienne Seven, right? Yeah, was it? I mean, here's hoping that we all are reading the same chapter. Um, Brienne, <laughs> Brienne Seven of a feast for crows. Um, I'm Chicky. I'm at the Chickren on Twitter, and uh, with me tonight, I have Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast. All right, well, let's just jump into this uh, nightmare, shall we? <laughs> uh, so, um, just to catch everybody up from Brienne's last chapter, um, she was on the Quiet Isle with uh, Heil and Pod and uh, Sept and Maribald, and they heard all about this massacre at the salt pans. And um, beginning this chapter, they they have, have been ferried over to the salt pans and have kind of um, gone through the town, which is a wreck, and now they're kind of entering the woods on the edge of the town. And um, I kept thinking as I was reading this, it's too bad that we didn't read this a week ago when it was uh, Halloween week because oh, yeah. it's so creepy. It's gory. There, <laughs> there are hanging men all over the trees. I mean, she she said some somewhere at one point like you just go like fifty or hundred yards and you see another corpse or two. They're efficient. How? <laughs> it's like they work fast. God. Well, it's kind of like um, <laughs> when Danny executes the yeah. slavers who you know did the same thing to the to the slaves like it's mm-hmm. yeah that process yeah well because these the guys that are hanging they they figure this out that it's it's the people who committed the atrocities um at salt pans so uh, it's funny because they start out Hiles kind of trying to make jokes and like things aren't that dark but like the further they go and the more <laughs> bodies they find they start getting more and more grim which you would well and uh, i thought it was interesting that they that they know, you know, they have brand notice that their coats are, you know, they're gray, they're crimson, they're, you know, mm-hmm. they're obviously it's not Lannister soldiers or Frey soldiers, like it's, you know, it's these broken men we've heard about. They're just, you know, they're the leftover remnants of of the war. Not any one, you know, not any one side at this point. Yeah. Like Reavers, you know, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's it's the broken men that Septon Maribald talked to her about, and you know, was, Brienne Brienne can have compassion for anyone, and she's starting to feel bad for these guys, even though she yeah. knows they're probably very bad guys. Um, yeah, she starts to um sort of you know she thinks oh I I think I might recognize this, but you know she's yeah. sort of seeing people in those faces, and so I guess to some extent she has that little bit of compassion for oh man. Well, and it's a good hint that some of them are are probably bloody mummers, and that might be why she's Oh, yeah, them. yeah. So they're headed for the end at the crossroads that we we visit. 
I think more than once in Arya's chapters, don't we? Aren't there two? Doesn't she end up there two different times? Maybe I'm making that up. Um, so we get to the inn, um, and all they find are kids. There are kids hanging out at the door of this inn to greet them. And Heil like, <laughs> like goes, go find your mom. And they're all like, none of us have moms. Um, it's really sad because at one point Brienne thinks of this as the orphan inn, which is. Well, they had this whole yeah. conversation on this, like very long winded conversation about the background, the, the, the <laughs> name, the various names of the inn. And I think it's just meant like, it's kind of almost meant to distract to distract them from what they're seeing on the way because it's so awful. And so Septa Maribald is kind of telling them this, like, super long, like, super long tale about the inn. But there's one thing I, I wanted to mention in here. He talks about um, it used to be known as the Clanking Dragon, and it was a three, you know, a three-headed dragon was the symbol of the inn. Uh-huh. And there's this line in here where he says, you know, um, you know, a bastard son of the fourth Egan rose up in rebellion against his you know, true-born brother and took for his sigil a black dragon. These lands belonged to Lord Derry then, and his lordship was fiercely loyal to the king. The sight of the black iron dragon made him wroth, so he cut down the post, hacked the sign into pieces, and cast them into the river. One of the dragon's heads washed up on the quiet isle many years later, though by that time it was red with rust. Like, that whole, like, rubies washing up on the quiet isle, and, you know, now this black dragon washing up on the quiet isle. Like, did you guys think there's anything meaningful in that well interesting uh, it's, it's part of the theory that Rhaegar is on <laughs> that Rhaegar Rhaegar is the elder brother yeah right um I mean, this is this is incorporated into that theory yes um okay I, I thought I found something new <laughs> no Never. no no I mean it, it, it is worth pointing out I mean clearly it's something I don't know see this is why every time we talk about the quiet aisle people are always like well if it isn't Jamie and Brian who are going there who's going to go there and I'm, I've always wondered if it would be Danny hmm. or John and Danny so I don't know if that's what one of the heads hmm. of the dragon things are about I don't know I don't know so what is the deal with the el- okay so they think if they think the elder brother is Rhaegar didn't Rhaegar have purple eyes did he have different color yeah, eyes no it's not a good theory <laughs> I mean I, I, I get why I get why I get it's why it's contest. a theory but it doesn't hold up very well I guess would be the way to put it but <laughs> I definitely think George wants you to suspect it so I don't know if that's what the sign is about it's about something clearly it's going somewhere that one of the heads of this dragon yeah <laughs> washed up on the white aisle Maybe, you know, maybe we've got, like, a double fake Egan, and, like, mm. you know, this, you know, Egan isn't really Egan, but Egan's also not dead. Egan's some, you know, like, who the hell knows? Yeah. God only knows. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll never find out. We'll never find out. That's the thing to keep in mind. Even if it was going somewhere, we'll never know. And I don't yep. know why they're, you know, I'm sort of like, I know they're trying to distract themselves, but I just feel, everything just feels like danger, and I'm like, why? Even little kids, it's like, you know, when Hyle's mentioning a little later that just the sheer numbers of children, it's kind of creepy. Like, like a children of the scared. corn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? There's like feral little kids. Like that horrible, well, like, traumatic. At the feast when the, when Septim Maribald's like saying a prayer and like <laughs> they mention that there's like a naked two-year-old crawling <laughs> on the table stuff and they sound like they're just like gorging themselves on all the food. Oh, yeah, it's just awful. <laughs> Oh, it freaks me out. <laughs> it's like an orphanage with no keepers. That's basically yeah. what it is. 
Lord, Lord of the Flies. flies. Yes. Yeah, the Lord, of yeah. the flies. <laughs> Lord of the Flies. The end of the Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Uh, so while they're while the, when they get to the inn though, um, while they're in the yard, um, weirdly trying to negotiate to even stay at the inn. It's weird because um we find out that Willow Heddle is kind of in charge of the inn right now and uh she's <laughs> she's kind of like at first a little reluctant to let them stay unless they really pay a high price. Um so anyway, as they're negotiating, uh, somebody walks out of the forge, with they no- which they noticed was lit up and somebody was using. And, of course, dun, 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 it's Gendry. But Brienne thinks it's Renly. Like, the, I love the way it's described in the book. She, like, she goes, Brienne turned and saw a ghost, Renly. Oh. And she literally calls him my lord, like, out loud, says that. <laughs> I love this. I know. So anyway, she figures out, oh, no, he he can't be. <laughs> Number one, obviously he can't be Renly, but she's like, no, this is a much younger person. Renly was an old man of 21 when he died. <laughs> I love how she... <laughs> <laughs> no. like, and like, you know, Renly was baby. so live and, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, they, they finally decide to let them stay at the inn. <laughs> and we get to... Um, I feel like this is a pretty big moment in Jamie Brienne fandom um, uh, overall. Uh, so they decide to stay at the end and Brienne says to Podrick, you know, like, yeah, you can stay in my room with me. We're going to leave first thing in the morning and we're going to leave Septon Maribald and Heil behind. Um, and after that, she's kind of having this moment of contemplation of which direction to go, because obviously this is the end at the crossroads. So is she going to go to the Vale? Is she going to go to River Run, or is she going to go south? And we get this really great paragraph where Brienne says, uh, "Or I could take the King's Road south." Brienne thought, "I could slink back to King's Landing, confess my failure to Sir Jamie, give him back his sword, and find a ship to carry me home to Tarth, as the elder brother urged." The thought was a bitter one. Yet there was part of her that yearned for Evenfall and her father. And another part that wondered if Jamie would comfort her should she weep upon his shoulder. That was what men wanted, wasn't it? Soft, helpless women that they needed to protect? Is this, this where is... we got into the conversation about when Lot confessed that in junior high she faked crying to get hugged from a boy? This is absolutely <laughs> where that happened, yes. I remember <laughs> I mean, there's so many, you know, there's so many bits about this, you know, there's so many crossroads for Brienne here. I mean, there's this literal, like, which direction is she going to go? And I mean, actually, I, I guess let's, let's save that thought for later. But yeah, I mean, like, this is her play for Jamie, you know, and I mean, it would totally work. Oh, yeah, I think we all know it would work. Yeah, I mean, any hint of vulnerability. And I mean, I think Jamie would just like die you know <laughs> well i think more than that just if she turned to him for any reason <laughs> like yeah. indicating that she wanted any sort of emotional connection i think it would work because yeah. obviously but i mean i think the most powerful thing about it is that she doesn't just think i want to go to jamie for comfort she's like thinking would he <laughs> would yeah. he comfort me like she's she clearly like she's, there's a spark that she's seen somehow yeah yeah, I mean, which is amazing, given her given her her romantic history, that she can even entertain the thought. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, a guy jumps in a bear pit for you. <laughs> <laughs> T- 
tells her because it's he dreamed about you, gives oh you, gosh. you know, a oh. priceless parchment from the king, you know, a, qu- a quest that shows, you know, he recognizes your value as a knight and, you know, his shield and a priceless sword and, a, you know, a horse. Like, I mean... Kind of would be oh, leading yeah, no. her out if she wasn't interested. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was like, oh like, if she were anyone else, of course there would be no question. Obviously, he's interested. Right. But yeah. it's like, even she, like, Jamie has it so bad that even Brienne suspects that there might be a chance. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, yeah. I would think everyone else in the world would just assume, like, she's hopelessly out of it. You know, she's hopelessly. He's hopelessly out of her league, but yeah, yeah I mean, girls got a chance. <laughs> Why not go for it, well, Brian? Right. I mean, if, if you get please, the chance, please go for it. Just leave now. Leave <laughs> I know. Now. I was gonna say oh, she should have left the night before. <laughs> oh God. So anyway, she <laughs> she then has a really great conversation with Hyle, but actually also comes up a lot in Jamie and Brian fandom. Um this little conversation where Heil finally uh, proposes, I guess is the only way to put it, um, proposes by telling her (laughs) (laughs) that he can definitely sire children because he's got a bastard daughter um, whose mother dumped soup on him the last time that she saw him. Um, (laughs) And he tells her um, that, and this is, this is such a, a great little exchange. He, he, he's trying to talk her into this and he go and she says, well, my dad could get married. He's not that old. He, he could have more kids. And Heil goes, that's a risk. If your father weds again, and if his bride proves fertile, and if the boy's a babe, I've made worse wagers and lost them. Play your game with someone else, sir. So speaks a maid who has never played the game with anyone. Once you do, you'll take a different view in the dark. You'd be as beautiful as any other woman. Your lips were made for kip- kissing. Their lips, said Brienne. All lips are the same. And all lips are made for kissing, Hunt agreed pleasantly. Leave your chamber door unbarred tonight and I will steal into your bed and prove the truth of what I say. If you do, you'll be a eunuch when you leave. Brienne got up and walked away from him. <laughs> I love this. I love I love that Heil does propose and I love that Brienne just like immediately shuts it completely down. Well, and it's just such an awful, you know, I mean. It's honest. So we have a, yeah, I mean, we've got a question about We've got a um, we've got a question that kind of deals with that. Um, uh, why am I why am I missing it? Um, okay, you'll find it eventually. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I just put it in, in the wrong. So, um, terrible existence on Twitter wrote. Um, you know, what do you make of the similarities between Red Ronnet's line repeating his father's advice um, about all women being the same once he blew the candle out, and Heil earnestly stating that in the dark she'd be as beautiful as any woman? Is their dark motif meant to conflict with Jamie's in this light she can almost be a beauty, hmm. as well as being a de facto ranking of the men what they represent for Brienne and her place in society? Um, Ronnet being the outright rejection and trauma and Heil representing Brienne settling being conformed to societal expectations. Um, hence the proposal taking place at the crossroads and Heil's misinterpretation of Brienne's desires and a perversion of what motherhood would represent for her. And then Jamie standing out as the true romantic love that sees Brienne for the beauty she is and bucks societal norms for both parties. Also, Heil's line about kissing, gross or in a way romantic slash hot. 
<laughs> and I mean, I just, you know, to me, I, I agree with Clotho that it's, there's like a certain appreciation for its honesty, you know, like if he was bullshitting her about her beauty and, you know, like, nope, he's just like, I want your land. I kind of, you know, like, you're, you know, I, I can deal with, you're not, you know, I'm not super attracted to you, but I'm going to do you. And we're going to have some kids and yeah, no, he's not, well, he's not a liar at this point. No, he's not. And this is clearly the right tactic, I think, yeah. because mm-hmm. Brienne would never believe anything else. Yeah. So it's like, it's probably his best shot is just complete and utter honesty. Um, and he doesn't know that he, you know, I mean, he has no idea that he has a rival, you know? Uh, like, yeah. That's true. Like Brienne's kind of kept at this point, you yeah. know, he he would have he doesn't know anything about her relationship with Jamie. No, and yeah. kept that so far apart at this point for him. What's funny is earlier on in the proposal, he's like, "Well, unlike Renly, I'm alive." So it's like all he knows yeah. is that she was in love with Renly. He, you'd think hanging out with her and like knowing that she has Oathkeeper and stuff, you might start to wonder hmm she spent like several weeks with the hottest guy in Westeros I wonder um but Heil never seems to wonder he's not well I mean I think maybe he just you know again assumes that he's that Jamie's so far out of her league that it's irrelevant you know yeah and if anybody didn't know him personally they'd assume that he wouldn't you know yeah have any interest in her and I mean I think you know there's this you know, to you know, to approach the question, the question too. You know, I, I think it's really interesting. Like, I never thought of like the the dark versus you know Jamie kind of seeing her in the light and stuff, which was kind of a cool yeah, oh, really cool contrast. But I just yeah, no, it is cool, and that, that's actually a really good point. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, it being at the crossroads, and you know, I mean, I. Again, like, I think, you know, Hyle's proposal and Hyle's offer here, it's sort of like the like the choice she could make to be ordinary. And, you know, in some ways for Brienne, the opportunity to be ordinary, like, how tempting is that? Yeah. Like, that has to, you know, versus being, you know, extraordinary, which she's thus far kind of chosen or been forced into, you know, forced into the unusual choice her whole life. And, yeah, I mean, you, def- you can definitely see... Um, see the allure of just you know having an ordinary boring life at this point but and then, you know, you know well you can but Brienne can't right exactly <laughs> and that's why Brienne's extraordinary yeah. and I'm not you know what I mean? it's... well I mean and you don't get the I mean I, who knows what kind of husband he'd be but he doesn't seem like he'd treat her horribly you know and I think he'd still let her you know, I don't think he'd suddenly be like, you have to wear dresses all the time. You have to wear, right. you know, I mean, so it don't seem like, like a horrible. He might be know. wearing dresses. Like, <laughs> she'd clearly be wearing the pants, especially on Tarth, you know. I mean. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he cares about that, you know, so. No, I mean, I, he wouldn't be no. faithful. He wouldn't be. Yeah. You know, he might be loving, especially, you know, if they had kids and, like, and stuff. But he's never going to, you know. Yeah. It's not, again, it's going to be. Like, probably an ordinary average marriage in, you know, Westeros where there, you know, people aren't, at least in the nobility, aren't, like, marrying for love. Yeah, and then well, he's think- pinging her wrong because he knows, you know, he doesn't get that she wants the romantic, you know, she wants the yeah. all out. Like, he pegs that soulmate. she wants, you know, like, oh, you're just, you know, you want kid, you know, you yeah. want to be a mom and blah, like, which I think she, you know, kind of does, but he doesn't, like, know, like, mm-hmm. but I mean, he does. He's the one who, like, 
had the books and stuff. So he does kind of know that. I think maybe he's just again like, you know, I'm I'm your best I'm your best option here. <laughs> well, and in some ways he he is because I you know, I think it's pretty clear of of the suitors she's had. Oh, yeah. Of her betrothals, I mean, probably Heil would be far better than Ronit, obviously, and yeah, definitely I mean, better than what's yeah. his face. Right, the you know the dead nine year old. Yeah, Heil, well, like, and the no. the sixty five year old man that she had right. to beat to a bloody pulp. What was his name again? Why can't uh, I spit his name? Humphrey out? Wagstaff. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Humphrey Sir Humphrey. <laughs> Sir Hump. Um, uh, humpy Hump. <laughs> but I always think that this also serves, um, you know, George is clearly not just thinking about what's happening in the moment. He's thinking about what's coming up. And you have both Jamie and Brienne in their later chapters of the feast dance um, uh, run kind of having these moments of, you know, thinking about sexual things. And like, this is the first time that we've really seen anyone other than Jamie, um, express any sort of sexual interest in her. I mean, obviously this is very mercenary sexual interest, but I mean, I think it, it kind of serves to maybe soften the reader up to the idea of Brienne having (laughs) some sort of romance coming up. Yeah. Like the idea isn't, you know, isn't a joke. Like he's obviously, I mean, with like, that's it. It's his proposal is not a joke. It's, you know, brutally honest, but it's a, you know, he is dead serious about, about wanting to marry her. Yeah. Yeah. How old is Hyle? Do they ever say? I don't know. I always thought like early 20s probably. Uh, so a little bit. Yeah. I was thinking he's got to be a little bit older than her. I mean, yeah. you know, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if he's old enough to have that like, oh, just given settle. I mean, obviously well, for him, it's not settling. It's like for him, it's like shooting hard. Well, for him, it's well, quite how old was Sam when he was drowning? Because, you know, Hyle saved him. So he has to be, you know, he would have. You know, he probably had to be like a teenager at least when that happened to Sam, and Sam's like what, sixteen or seventeen? Okay. Yeah. So he might be like twenty four, twenty five ish. Yeah, I was gonna say I always assumed like mid to later twenties was yeah. kind of. Uh, I mean, if we're just gonna keep him as Jamie Light, he could be thirty. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, he's so Jamie Light. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Just, doesn't matter how old he is because even his wise like some of his wise cracks are so similar like i could see the hemp comment about i could yep. plant start a farm and grow some hemp and you know <laughs> make a killing selling rope <laughs> oh, i mean God. you can kind of see i mean the characters that i think george likes to write too like he's you know he's a fun and you know for those of us who've written fan fiction and stuff he's a fun character to write because yeah. he kind of can he he can kind of say the things that, you know, other characters quite aren't going to say. Like he, he's just very blunt and sarcastic and, you know, has a certain amount of wit without like the baggage of, you know, all the baggage of Jamie. I mean, he does have very specific Brienne baggage, but yeah, put him with other people and he can be kind of fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Kyle's not a terrible, terrible guy. He's a bad guy. He was definitely bad to Brienne. I don't want Brienne to ever have to be with him, but there are far worse people in A Song of Ice and Fire than Hyle. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Hyle's like in the top, Hyle's in the top fifth of people in A Song yeah, of Ice and yeah. Fire. I, mean. I know. If you're back yeah. row, comparing it, not a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> so after this little exchange in which Brienne makes it very clear that no, that is not happening, 
um, they they have dinner with all these kids and like <laughs> kind of like we were talking about earlier. It's just like sounds like total chaos. Um, eat, like all the cheese wheels and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the Septon was helping them make the porridge and like you know yeah. they're just going back in the kitchen. It's just. <laughs> well, I like how the Septon like <laughs> tries to pray for them and stuff, and Gendry is like very clearly just mm-hmm. such a convert to Relore at this point. He won't even like participate in the prayer or eat the food. Um, oh yeah, it was interesting is... how the little was it Willow that shushed the girl when she mentioned about the um. That he was into her lore. Yeah. So she yeah. kind of hushed her up. Uh-huh. Because that probably would have tipped people off about him knowing Thoros. Yeah. Um, well, and too, you know, they're in front of a Septon. It might just be, like, polite, oh, too, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's more about the fact that they're luring people in with this damn in. But, yes. <laughs> so, anyway, because, uh, because Gendry gets up and leaves, Brienne decides to take him out some dinner to the forge and she's clearly kind of dying to know what the story is with Ge- with Gendry. She gets out there and he's of course surly Gendry. It's so funny how we haven't there how people pop back up in this chapter who were pretty much a big part of Arya's story for a while like Gendry and you've got Rorge and Biter here too. Yeah. Um so anyway Brian is asking Gendry, like, um, where you're from sound like you're from King's Landing, and do you know who your mother was? And do you know who your father was? Because she's figured out he has to be one of Robert's bastards because he looks apparently so much. Yeah. Has like, that, I mean, how's no one else pointed this out to him? Living so close, like they say to the Red Keep, like how would you think people would be pointing that out to all of them? Oh, you look like, you know, the king and <laughs> Well, why didn't Thoros, you mean? Why didn't I don't anyone know. in King's Landing? I mean, wouldn't they have known growing up that, like, Robert was had a lot of, that they make the comment that he had a lot of well, bastards? So and like, that, oh. that, you know, he obviously was, you know, given the opportunity to be a blacksmith, yeah. you know, given, like, special opportunity somehow. And at some point, obviously, you know, I, I don't think Robert was, I think Robert was, like, visiting his his dalliances in a lot of cases. So, you know, he's probably there. And maybe because like, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that she pointed out, well, didn't you ever see the King? And he's like, yeah, but I, maybe cause he was fat and old. He's like, he can't yeah, put two and two. He didn't see him younger, you know? Well, and I think there might be something yeah. to the fact that, that y- you may not have seen as much of this resemblance until Gendry got old enough to start to fill out and be yeah. super tall and super muscly. Yeah. Um, and then it would really become clear. It may not have been as, as evident when he was really small, but now that he quite frankly embodies Robert, it sounds mm-hmm. like a young Robert, a I very know. young Robert. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. I mean, I know I've said it before, but I mean, it's just so funny to me how Gendry is basically the child of, of Ned and Robert. Like he's so, <laughs> <laughs> he's the, you know, he's the son of Ned Burt, you know, just with his, you know, his, physique but then like his kind of judgmentalness (laughs) that ned you know he kind of has that and just i mean his reasons for you know being with the brotherhood you know that they he liked that they gave the hound a trial and just you know there's this justice with with renly that you know is very ned like i don't know if anyone's written any stories where he's their adopted uh not adopted where he's their that's not a bad idea modern au people out there looking for ways to to fit Gendry into your story. Spice it up, yeah. He can, yeah, be their so, son they have together. <laughs> Somebody's going to write it now, you know that. Yeah, son I hope of, so. Son of Ned, I, quote, us, it's called Son of Ned Burt. <laughs> yes, son, yes, we want to fix the title, Son, son of, of Ned Burt. 
So Surly Gendry pretty much doesn't want to talk to her, but she is like right on the edge of telling him clearly who he is when, of course, they get interrupted by some noise out in the inn yard. And um, a storm is kicking up and it's getting kind of thunder and lightning-y. And Brienne goes and looks at who has just come because Gendry's like, oh, yeah, it's friends of ours. And she sees who it is, and she's like, uh, these are not anybody's friends. It's seven guys. They're bloody mummers. And she definitely recognizes uh, Biter right off the, fa- the the bat. I don't know if she recognized Rorge right away. Well, Rorge is wearing uh, Sander's helmet, right? Yeah. Creepy. So she tells Gendry to get his sword and armor. And Gendry, like, pops his head out and sees sees the helmet and he's like oh him he thinks it's sander because of course the last time last thing that gendry knew sander stole Arya away in storm of swords so of course he's mad at sander too um so little willow heddle um confronts these guys and i'm just gonna read this little bit the door to the inn banged open willow stepped out into the rain a crossbow in her hands The girl was shouting at the riders, but a clap of thunder rolled across the yard, drowning out her words. As it faded, Brienne heard the man in the hound's helm say, Loose a quarrel at me and I'll shove that crossbow up your cunt and fuck you with it. Then I'll pop your fucking eyes out and make you eat them. The fury in the man's voice drove Willow back a step, trembling. Seven, Brienne thought again, despairing. She had no chance against seven, she knew. No chance and no choice. She stepped out into the rain, oathkeeper in hand. Leave her be. If you want to rape someone, try me. And this is why we all stand Brienne. Yep. Uh, this is like, uh, this remains one of, I think, the most powerful moments in the books. It's funny how I think people kind of gloss over it like on their first read through. But it's funny how often people who are like, oh, Brienne's terrible, Brienne's boring, when they hit this on like a reread they're very, very moved by it because it is one of the most just sadly heroic things mm-hmm. that you'll ever read in these books. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, first you have Willow. Like, this. what is she, like, 10? Yeah. yeah. Confronting, you know, the most, like, in the top two or three seeming, like, most horrific non-supernatural characters in in the story, you know, like, so the super brave, but, you know, really foolish little girl. And then, I mean, yeah, Brienne just, you know, ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, is right. And, you know, she knows that Hiles in the end, she knows that Gendry probably can fight. Well, Gendry told her he was knighted, didn't he? I think he did. I think so. Um, she she just goes out there anyway i love how she's smart enough to to bait rorge she she baits him into fighting her one-on-one she just smack talks him until he Mm -hmm. does it and he comes at her and they have this horrific duel um and she beats him which is good um and then the minute that she kills him um like the spell is broken like they're also busy watching you know watching the oh, fight that yeah. they weren't coming on or at what you know all yeah. at once. although like it sounds like a few of them are pretty badly injured 
Yeah, it sounds like they're very tired and like their horses were, you know, exhausted. Um, but suddenly, the minute that she kills Rorge, um, Biter just crashes into her and she loses Oathkeeper immediately. Um, when Biter comes and crashes into her. And so ensues one of the more, oh, God, horrific parts of the books because he immediately starts to like, well, he holds her down on the ground and he's like choking her. Um, yeah. Do you, and, we had a Reddit comment about this that, or a Reddit question that might help. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, this is from nobody on Reddit and they say, Brienne seven is a very difficult read and I find it particularly horrifying because George describes biters attack in a manner that makes it sound like rape. Um, for example, he was crushing her, smothering her. She pushed at his shoulders to get him off of her, but he was he- as heavy as a horse, impossible to move. When she tried to knee him in the groin, all she did was drive her knee into his belly. Grunting, Biter tore out a handful of her hair. Um, you know, in the next chapter, Biter even appears in Brand's nightmares as a would-be rapist. Naked, he came, fondling his member, gnashing his filed teeth together. A horrible composite of her worst fears and her traumas. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on why George wrote it this way. I mean, I think it is, like, it's a violation. You know, he's eating her. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. After and it, she, he's basically suffocating her, but she gets her her knife and um, kind of slices him across the belly, and yeah. then he just decides to start eating her cheek. And I don't know if it's that she has wounded him enough that he's going to die because you can. She says something about feeling the blood, like there's a lot of blood. Whatever yeah. she did to him was a pretty pretty serious wound. But yeah, no, I mean this is. I think George, yes, intentionally made it so graphic and and sexual, even though it isn't sexual, it is, and it is, like, very much like a rape. Um, yeah. Yeah, I suppose that he did it to, you know, evoke all that. So, I mean, I didn't talk about it, but when Brienne killed Rorge, she, um, <laughs> she yells sapphires at him because, of course, Rorge was one of the three guys who was coming to rape her that night in a storm of swords when Jamie yelled out sapphires. Um, so it's something she's already got in her mind anyway. So I'm sure that that was just something George wanted to continue. It's, it's pretty horrific to read. Um, yeah. And go I ahead, think too, go. there's, you know, if I was thinking back to Jamie and a storm of swords, when he's thinking, you know, they'll, they'll hurt her on the, you know, on the inside and, you know, one thing, you know, unfortunately about the show is that, you know, the characters don't really change. They don't change because of things that happen to them. You know, it's more like they change because the plot required it of them. So, I, you know, I think of like John, you know, comes back from the dead and it has no change to himself. And, mm. you know, in the books, we see, you know, Brienne, this horrible, this horrific trauma. And, you know, how, you know, how is this going to change her? You know, it you know it it is going to change her, and what what is that going to mean? Um, you know, she's going to be with Jamie, who's certainly someone that can, um, you know, I think has shown like enough empathy as well for you know the plight of, you know, the plight of women in in wartime like this. You know, I think he you know he might be the shoulder for her to cry, and maybe this is part of, um you know, part of how they, you know, move into the next phase of the relationship even. But, I mean, I think, 
like describing it like this huge, this, you know, horrible violation and stuff. I mean, I think it does maybe have to, you know, change her into a different person or not a different person, but, you know, change her somehow. It's just so horrific. It's like, I always think why, you know, it's like I can get, oh, he wanted to make her uglier, but it's just such a, especially to that, I don't know, just for the character's backgrounds, you know, he doesn't like people hurting his characters, but it's like he's cooking up the most horrific things for their, you know, custom made. What's the worst thing I could do to you, you know? Yeah. Ugh. Well, and I mean, the, the one thing I will say about the trauma of this, this isn't Brian's first moment like this. I mean, mm. she's had two pretty brutal attempted rapes. The first yeah. was obviously oh. with Rorge. And the, I mean, they were grabbing her and stuff by yeah. the time that Jamie oh. yelled sapphires in, in the book. And then, of course, you know, we don't know a lot about what happened um, other than the fact that she bit his ear off. <laughs> but yeah. Vargo Hote um, tried to rape her at Harry Well, and Kyburn raped her. Uh, Kyburn did rape her, yes. Yeah, and he did horrible. sexually assault her, I should say, because he yeah. forced her to have a pelvic exam she didn't want. But, yeah. you know, the the thing that happened with, with Vargo, and I think there might be some weird parallel that George is doing here, because she bites off Vargo's ear mm. in that mm. rape attempt, and now here we have Biter Ugh. biting off her cheek um, in this. I'm, I'm sure that George has drawn these parallels mm-hmm. intentionally, um, and it's horrific. It's horrible to read. I just realized I don't even think I trigger warned for this episode, so I'm going to have to go edit that in. Because, <laughs> God, this needs a trigger warning. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, so anyway, as he's eating her, she realizes it. She seriously just goes, he's eating me. Mm. Um, It'll all be over soon. You know, like yeah, that. Yeah, she's like, like oh, I can't. I can't die yet. And he's eating me. And then she's like, well, it's, yeah, she, she knows she's dying. Cause he's choking her. And, um, suddenly she sees that his tongue gets really, his tongue comes out of his mouth and it's really long and red and wet. And then suddenly she's like, Oh, it looks like a sword. And then she passes out. Mm. Um, so she has this thought that she thinks there's something, there's still something I have to do. What is that? Save Sansa. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. It's the thing that's driving her through all of this. Yeah, it's not Jamie, it's Sansa. But she's too far gone. God, this is just horrific. It just makes you think, God, if you could have been in her head for everything that happened in Storm of Swords, what must she have been thinking throughout so much of that? Because she was so tough on the outside, but it's like on yeah. the inside, you know, she's just a little marshmallow. So. Well, and I mean, honestly, I feel like this is going to sound kind of ridiculous, but the person that's doing the live tweeting of, um, they did the live tweets of Jamie and Brienne and the Storm of Swords, essentially, and they kind of went off, you know, they went off canon, but, um, you know, when Jamie's like feverish and, you know, you like, I think they did a really good job of like imagining what it would have been like to be in Brienne's head then. Like when she has to take care of him and she's, you know, worried about if he, you know, what's going to happen to her if, if he, you know, he dies and, you know, all of those like jumbled emotions and stuff. Ugh. Ugh poor baby. God. I know. Or she's, but I mean, I don't know if we've like explicitly said enough that she's a goddamn hero. she's such a hero i mean this is the thing you know i mean oh god she's amazing she's such a great character and like how can you read these like 
to me, when you read Brienne's chapters in a row like this in Feast, and I mean the start of this chapter with the you know the hanged men everywhere, and just like the sense of foreboding that you get chapter after chapter, like leading up to this and then what's beyond. It's like how can you not appreciate that story? Like in an, like what's boring about that story? Like I, I just it baffles me because it's just like it's like a horror. It's kind of a horror story. And, it is. You know, it's really, I mean, I think it's great. <laughs> it is great. Well, and she's such a great character. This is, but this is what I'm saying. It's, I, I get why your first read through the books, you're just trying to get through. You just want to know the next thing that's going to happen. And I get why you would get to feast and you're like, oh, why do I have to read eight chapters of freaking Brienne? And she's looking for Sansa. And I know she's not going to find Sansa. Sansa's in the, you know, I, I get it. I get it. But if you really stop and think about it or on a reread, the God, I really judge people who don't appreciate Brienne <laughs> on the second time through. Yeah. So I mean, there's, yeah, it's a great chapter. Do we have a uh, mail guile? We do. We have, um, we have a few more messages. We have a non on Tumblr who asks, um, do we know which arm Brienne broke in her attempt to fight off biter? Was it her sword arm and how might this affect her plot going forward? Or will George forget about it? Like her missing teeth. Oh jeez, <laughs> those teeth. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Is, I, yeah, I don't know what arm it is. Does anyone? Oh, I don't know. Is it? Is it the one that she had the knife in? Is that when he breaks her arm? I mean, I feel like it'd be her left because I feel like there'd be some symbolism between um, Jamie missing his, you know, right arm, hand and her having a broken left arm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 looking back through it. I think it's I think it's the hand that she had the blade in which would have been her right hand, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the one that she had the blade in. He take he wrenched the dagger from her fingers and slammed a knee down onto her forearm breaking it. Yeah, it's got to be <sighs> her right. I don't you know this is one of those things where it's like pretty unrealistic that she's even able to ride a horse in dance to me. So I don't know that it's going to have a huge significance in terms of like her fighting prowess. Like it might have a short term, you know, extremely like short term significance, but it just seems like, you know, she really shouldn't be able to be riding a horse several days after, you know, after all of this either with broken ribs and a broken arm and, you know, a chewed mm-hmm. up face and, you know, all this other stuff. I mean, she could. She's Brienne. But yes, it would be really rough. Uh, We got a question from Buck O'Hare on Reddit who says, um, how important to you is it that Brienne's greatest act is unseen and nearly unnoticed? Oh, God, that's the most Brienne thing about it, that she all of her bravest acts are things that no one's ever going to know about. It's like when she won't go kill Jamie. Yeah. You know, he'll he'll never know that she was willing to die for him. If she died, you know, in the next chapter, he would have never known. She would have just been this hero who refused to go kill him just, you know, mm. quietly and unknown. But like Willow and Gendry know. And it's like also kind of what pisses me off that they sell her out, you know? Oh, God, like you fucking no. saw what she did and you're just going to let her get killed? I mean, they're just so jaded at this point, and Ugh. she is Lannister from head to toe at this moment. Got it. Not. Me mad. Oh no, I know. I hear you. I don't so want. We've got a couple of questions speculating about Gendry too. Um, 
What do you, uh, Wax Paper Door on Reddit asks, what do you think the importance or significance is of Brienne meeting Gendry? Well, I think it's how she gets to the Brotherhood. And, um, you know, I mean, I think we all have that fantasy of, like, the team of our favorite characters, like, going somewhere together. <laughs> Gendry, um, the Hound, Jamie, Brienne, like, all going, you know, pod. Well, it, it clearly matters. It clearly matters because, um, it matters clearly for both Brienne and Gendry, I think, because uh, why else have her realizing who he is mm-hmm. if it if it didn't matter who he was? Um, clearly, it's going to matter. Clearly, she's going to tell yeah. somebody, him, someone for whom it will matter. Um, this is one of those things where ASOIF readers always kind of dismiss Gendry because they're like, oh, well, you know, Edric Storm's the important bastard and everything. I'm like, is he? Who gets the most page time of Robert's bastards? I'm pretty sure it's Gendry. Mm-hmm. Well, and who has, like, you know, who who is in the company of red priests who, you know, care about things like King's Blood and who, you know. That too. That too. I mean, I doubt anybody's going to try to sacrifice him now. I mean, maybe later. But well, um, and plus, like, you know, also, gee, there's all of this dragon glass. What will we ever do? And you know, how will we? <laughs> might there be a might there be a place for a smith in this? You know, a, a, a smith yeah. who's like apprenticed under. You know, we kind of you know with Tob- with Tobamad, it kind of seems like he's like the best in Westeros, really. Like, you know, with his well, skill. Well, Tobamad's the only one who can reforge Valyrian steel. Right. We know so, that. like, we feel like you know maybe Gendry, you know, has you know whatever knowledge he's passed on to. So it seems like he obviously has a part to play, you know, in the wars to come, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, this is a stupid thing that I do. I keep up with the comics that are released. You know, George started um, do, releasing the books as comics and they're, they're, well, I think halfway through clash right now. And um, the, 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 the reason why the, the reason why people kind of pay attention to it is that supposedly the guy who's writing the comics for George knows things about the ending of the, sto- of mm-hmm. the story that even David and Dan with the show were never told um, intricate details that needed to be included. Mm-hmm. And Gendry's introduction in the comics is um, very like purposeful and striking. Um, and there's a lot of like focus on like his physique and his bull helmet and everything. So it's like, Clearly, yes, Gendry is going to do something in the final books. I mean, even the show brought him back, although they didn't really do anything with him other than have him sleep with Arya. But yeah, it's for something. I couldn't tell you what he's going to do something. I don't think he's necessarily going to be on the throne or anything like that, but he's important. We've got one more Gendry question. It's Clear's Unicorn on Reddit asks, um, do you think Gendry will switch allegiance to the Ned Dane group of the Brotherhood Without Banners in Winds? And will that be George's play to get Brienne and Jamie out of the Lady Stoneheart mess? Uh, I know a lot of people think that the other one of the other bands of the of the former Brotherhood without banners will show up and hmm. play a role. I don't I don't really guess. You know, I, I'm pretty famously not so sure she's hauling him straight there anyway. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we know. You know, it's like we've got who Ned Angai Angai Angai. And guy, you know, yeah. Gendry and um like the inn that hot pie is at, like those people are all kinda 
But Gendry, Gendry's, Gendry's still very much in the Thoros camp, yeah. though. He's very much clearly a Stoneheart guy. Right. Um, and then, but then it's like, you know, I think we get to, you know, Thor, you know, it, it, if we go to like, and maybe we'll talk about that in Brienne's next chapter, but you know, the there's that, chapter, yeah. there's that Russian version of it with the Ravens and it kind of, you know, it kind of makes you think maybe, you know, maybe that Thoros is going to. You know, Thoros is going to have some insight that's going to save their ass, too. You know, there's a lot of I ways their think. asses can be saved. If that, yeah. you know, if that indeed is what's happening. Well, I mean, even if we don't necessarily hear about the Brotherhood Without Banners from Jamie or Brienne right off the bat and wins, we're going to hear about them. They're mm-hmm. making moves and, and oh, they yeah. got plans. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. So that's that's our mail. Okay, well, does anybody have any closing thoughts on this chapter? Or <sighs> I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be able to, like, hear you read it, that part of it, without, like, getting, like, verklempt, so. It's so emotional. Okay, it was emotional well, just reading it, to be yeah, honest. Like, I don't know if you guys yeah. felt that. I, under, it's like I it. understand it's necessary, and I, I we get some good info about it, but, like, it's not one of my, just because it's so awful, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah, it's kind of, well, and it's just so unjust. And, you know, yeah. like she makes this most heroic, you know, she does this most heroic stand and then like gets like eaten. Yeah. Like God. And then dragged away. Like it's like. Yeah. And then, pain. yeah, it's it's not even like she just gets killed. It's like she gets violated and then, you know, she gets violated physically and then, you know, is going to get violated, you know, her honor essentially. Like that's what's being questioned. It's like, Jesus, like. What a trial to put, you know, how many trials are you going to put this poor, this poor girl to through? And nobody deserves it less than Brienne. God. Right, right. Willing to just die for these kids she doesn't even know just because it's the right thing to do. I mean, you know, we go back to Dunk and, you know, Tansel too tall, which kind of starts, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that same thing, you know, the true, the true knight. She's too good for this stupid world. <laughs> She's too good for, like, a lot of worlds. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. Well, um, I guess that closes out this chapter. Um, guys, we love getting mail. Um, you can email us at end at gmail.com. You can also send us messages on Tumblr, which is closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. And you can also always leave us some comments or questions on the Jamie Brand subreddit, which is um, just reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Jamie Brand. Um, and please also leave us reviews um, anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, whether it's um, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or any place. <laughs> is there anything I'm forgetting? Oh, yeah, Patreon. We very much appreciate our patrons on Patreon who help support us and pay our hosting fees. Um, if you would like to become a patron, um, you can do so at patreon.com slash close the door, I think. Um, oh, and then our Twitter handle. <laughs> Kyle handles our Twitter, which is uh, at door podcast. Oh, I remembered it this time. Yay. I, I did. Mm-hmm. Yay. Who would have thought? Okay, guys, uh, great episode. I'm closing the door. Get out.